Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Thank you so much to everyone who supports this show and all the shows on the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you are not already, check this out. You can become a Major Spoilers patron by signing up at patreon.com slash major spoilers, and you can get access to a bunch of bonus stuff, including a lengthy discussion about old people pontificating about young people. Ooh, good times, friends. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the X-Men want you to know that they meant to do that. The Marvel Universe will never be the same. Again, the Flash takes on a whole new age. Will the universe survive the Phoenix Force? Can Professor X defeat Magneto? Will younger listeners get this soap reference? These questions and many others will be answered as the Major Spoilers Podcast takes to the air. Welcome to issue 867 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad to be here with you this week. No Rodrigo this week, suffering from the migraines. That's that's that the rough. that is the kind of illness that a farmer gets. Migraine, migraine, migraine. It's out in the field. So He's we hope Rodrigo is. We hope Rodrigo is feeling better. Ashley, I think she's out celebrating the 300th episode of Geek History Lesson, which dropped this week. So she's out doing that or doing something yep. super secret and super cool that we're not allowed to know about until later. So it's just uh, Matthew and I this week. And uh, hey, let's talk about COVID. All right. So uh, this thing is uh, this is interesting because now we are starting to see the covid virus, the uh, the coronavirus uh, start to have major impacts in how our fandom works. Uh, this last week, the Emerald City Comic Con announced that they were shuttering its doors after a number of publishers pulled out, like four or five publishers pulled out, even though Emerald City had said, no, we're going to continue to do this. But then after the latest rounds of um, of uh, people coming down uh, with the with the virus, they said, no, it's too risky. We're just going to shut this down and we're going to refund everybody's money. We are going to postpone Emerald City Comic Con until later, at which point everybody can buy their tickets again. But don't worry, we're refunding everybody's tickets and postponing the show. Right. South by Southwest has been canceled. Uh, Coachella has been canceled. Uh, a couple of other things have all been canceled. Uh, Planet uh, Comic Con, Kansas City's uh, own comic convention, has not been canceled. I was up on their website uh, just yesterday, and they said that they are, especially in light of the um, case that uh, appeared in Johnson County, they said that they're in contact with health officials and that they're right. monitoring the situation closely, but they also feel confident that uh, they can get the cleaning supplies, cleaning and scrubbing all the touchy places that people touch, and that they're going to do show as usual. Um what are your thoughts about this, Matthew? First of all, I w- what are your overall thoughts about the, the conventions and other things uh, going ahead and canceling these events? Are you surprised that there are conventions that are continuing or do you think that there we will see more shows suddenly uh, close up shop uh, while this goes on? Or do you think that people will just say, yeah, it's fine? I feel like I'm actually surprised that the cancellations are happening. Really? Because, yeah, what it really means is that whatever is going on, people are weighing the risk and reward and saying that any potential profit is not worth the risk, which is surprising to me. 
Uh, because in a lot of ways, I, I, I'm a little cynical when it comes to you know the profit motive, when it comes to the capitalist expectations. When you say, oh, well, Coachella is going to be postponed till when? Well, and, and that's do you have time for that? And yeah, that's the thing that I find most interesting is going to be. Yeah. I, my thought process is I'm kind of impressed because not knowing not knowing the full scope of the situation and deciding that Emerald City Comic Con is not going to happen because of it. First of all, I feel bad for the people whose, you know, whose actual money is going to be affected, the people whose ability to profit from yes. their art is going to be affected. Yes, uh, this affects mostly the people that set up panels or set up uh, um, booths to sell their wares. I think they are the people that are most affected by that, and that's that's who I feel sorry for. At the same yeah. time, I don't think that it is a surprise that uh, an event will close, especially when you have DC, Dark Horse, um, and a couple of other publishers say that they're not going to go to the show. That really takes out a lot of the panels that you had planned at a show. Uh, same right. way with South by Southwest, when you had Hulu and Netflix and Apple and I forget who else, Facebook and a bunch of others all pulled out. South by Southwest basically was like, well, we're losing all of our all of our big draws. So we right. might want to kill this now on the, at the same time. Um, South by Southwest had been basically worked with the uh, Austin uh, County Health Commissioner or whatever it is and the Visitor Bureau. And they were both recommending that the show shut down. This was at mm -hmm. the same time that everyone was pulling out Emerald City. I don't remember. I don't think they ever issued anything that's in, in their main statement, issued anything that said that they were working with uh, health experts in the region that said for them to shut down. I think it suddenly became an economic thing. Plus, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the other side of it is, too, I think that you don't want to be known as the convention where everybody caught the coronavirus. And especially with so many creators who are. Uh, in the danger zone range of this virus, I don't think you want to be known as the convention that potentially could have caused the death of many comic creators. That would right. be a, that would be a very bad stain on your convention. Now, going back to something that you had said a minute ago about they're postponing it, but when? Here's my thought, and this is just my opinion. I don't think we're going to see an Emerald City Comic Con this year because where else in the busy convention season are you going to Could put that show on? number one? Yeah. And number two, the other thing that kind of indicates that they are not going to post that they're uh, canceling it instead of postponing it is they issued refunds to everybody, just a blanket refund to everybody said, you don't have to do anything. We're refunding everybody's money. If they were really had another date for this show. They would have said, hold on to your ticket. It'll still be valid when our show comes back. However, if you would like to cancel, please contact us and we can refund your money. But they right. didn't do that. And so that makes me think that that's that there's not a time for this to to come in. Um, go ahead. I feel like in a situation where, you know, they have not. I, I don't think the, the World Health Organization or the CDC has declared a pandemic. No, not yet. But the expectation is that they could. And I mean, maybe by the will technical terms, it is a pandemic because it's in multiple countries. Right. But no one has declared, no, uh, no, legally no, no. declared this a pandemic. Right. Uh, my wife worked for the CDC the last time we had a pandemic yeah. and actually, you know, extended a contract that would have expired. So I was perfectly fine with it. But <laughs> an overabundance of caution in a situation like this is to me admirable. And I feel like. As terrible as it is that some people's livelihoods are going to be affected, and I feel bad for those people, I feel like it's responsible mm -hmm, on, mm -hmm. you know, it's a responsible decision by the people having these shows because they have stated that one of the things to avoid are large groupings of people. Yeah. You know, you want to be in a situation. Right now, we have people at a government level who are self quarantining them mm -hmm. because they may have been exposed. That is the way to go at a point where no one really knows what's going on. And I'd yeah. rather see that than, you know, the Elon Musk. Oh, this is all stupid. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I by guess the way, his full name elongated muskrat. Uh, the man is not a genius. I'm sorry. If you think he's a genius, I can respect your ability to believe that he's a genius. We will agree to disagree. But to me, that is that that's irresponsible. And I would prefer to see. A decision made in caution that ends up to not, yes. you know, be a problem. I would right. rather take yes. precautions for something that never happens than not take precautions for something that then does happen. Yeah, like I said, I'd rather be known as the uh, convention that was overly cautious than the convention that killed half the industry. 
Exactly. And if you're, if you want to buy a triangle pickup, that's fine, but don't try and make me believe that this triangle pickup is good looking or in any way sexy. So there's a couple of other questions. There's a couple of other questions I have. Are we going to see any other conventions? I mean, we do have San Diego Comic-Con coming up. That's the largest comic book convention, um, or one of the largest comic book conventions that we have. We also have coming up in the fall, um, uh, New York Comic-Con. Uh, and a bunch of others. Or do you think we're going to see other conventions shut down um, when, before the end of the when year? Is, or uh, San Diego? Uh, that's in June. I don't know. It's March. Um, and, you know, the the estimates that I'm seeing are that they don't expect there to be any type of actual vaccination for this for possibly a year or more. Yeah. It's really going to depend on how this all takes place i mean i've seen things and again pin in it i didn't read them deeply and i'm not necessarily an epidemiologist but i've seen people saying that it looks like they may have a plateauing number of cases in china Mm. where you know we saw some of the earliest cases of this so Mm -hmm. again it may be something where you know the, the, the smart people are saying um i have read a couple of people saying that containment is not necessarily an option at this point but I don't know. Yeah. I, I would say that three months from now, don't know. Yeah. Um, if uh, quick, you ask quick me a correction. month from now, I'll know what I know. So quick correction, San Diego Comic-Con, July 23rd through July 26th. So this year it's in July, way at the end of right. July, which is, uh, so maybe it's always been in July, but, uh, yeah. So we're, we're a couple of months from now. I suspect that we will see some more smaller shows, uh, get canceled. Um, mm-hmm. but here's the thing. Uh, and, and I talked about this on the morning stream this week that, that, even though we have the canceling of shows to be cautious, I think that there are missed opportunities here um, because I'm, I haven't seen anyone like Apple or Hulu just say, hey, all those independent filmmakers who are going to have their shows, uh, their movies screened at South by Southwest, we're going to buy a limited rights run of this and we're going to make these shows available on our iTunes or our Hulu or our Netflix for the next Arthur. month. And then after that, you know, you can sell those rights to whoever you want to sell them. But we want to do this so that People can see your works. They're missing out on that. Uh, I've seen a couple of people. I even offered this last Friday when I talked on Finally Friday. I talked about the uh, Emerald City Comic Con about missed opportunities. Um, I'm more than welcome any panel that was scheduled to be at the Emerald City Comic Con. If you want to come on one of our shows and do your panel via our Twitch channel, you're more than welcome to come and share this information. I'll be happy to to host that. I've seen a few other people start to kind of pick up on that idea as the week has, has moved on. But I see a lot of missed opportunities to take this content online and to present that information online and give everybody an experience in light of, oh, I'm sad because I can't go to the con. Well, here we go. We're going to try to bring the con to you uh, kind of ways. And I know some people don't think that the virtual uh, watching a panel is as exciting as being there. And you're probably right. But I think that um, there are some opportunities that people can still capitalize on uh, that they're not doing. And that could help change people's mind about grumble, grumble, grumble. This convention's been canceled. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Let's let's right. turn the positive into a negative. All right, let's turn a negative into a positive. Sorry. That's all right. Well, you know, negatives can do positives. That's, I guess two, ne- two negatives do make a positive, right? Uh, two wrongs do make a right, but uh, two rights make no. an airplane. Two rights make an airplane and four rights make a U-turn. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Actually, I, it'd be two, 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 three. No, you, you do four. In any case, because um, my car turns funny. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I feel like the main thing that people are thinking about right now is what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily thinking about what could we possibly do to you know maintain whatever we're doing. You know, we, we talked about colleges doing uh, online. Yeah, virtual. Doing their virtual uh, studio thing. I don't know if that's even a possibility with any of these types of conventions or even on a limited scale, but it's something that I also wonder if it would take more time to put together and plan Um, that they could do on a short notice. I don't know. I mean, if you have, I mean, literally, if someone wanted to do a panel, let's say that Jim Lee and um, Scott Snyder, Scott Snyder and uh, Greg Capullo Capullo Mm -hmm. wanted to do their Batman panel. All I'd have to do is connect them via Skype or uh, one of the others, Discord, just like we do when you come on uh, our streaming shows, our VIP live stream, or when Ashley comes on Finally Friday. You guys are just guests. Let's ask the questions. You guys can answer. It's a Skype connection. 
boom, done. It may not have the may not have the perfect clarity, but yeah, we can send me the images. We can dump the images in too. We can do all these kinds of things. So it's it's right. not something that's super, super hard. It takes a little bit of coordination, but I don't think that it is a I don't think that it's something that is totally out of out of the way. So here it as is more difficult than you think. Uh, because you have been doing this for 13, 14 years. Right. That's what I'm saying. We can do it. Uh, yeah. It 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 takes time. It's more difficult than, you know, the average person. Right. I'm not saying the, the I'm not saying that the average schmuck up the street should be doing it. I'm thinking these people yeah. need to be reaching out to Twitch streamers. They need to be reaching out to podcasters. They need to be reaching out to people that know what they're doing and saying, right. hey, what can we do to take our, our panel uh, virtual? How can we bring this online to the masses? Do you have some thoughts and ideas? How can we work together on this? Create that word that you love, Matthew. How can we create some synergy to keep this keep this story going? How can we keep this action going? Um, so that's why I'm saying that there's these missed opportunities that we haven't seen uh, pop up yet. Maybe it'll be addressed before the end of the month, but I but I haven't seen anybody uh, trying to swing that way. Now, that being said, here's what I'm going to say for anybody that is traveling to a convention or has a convention planned in the future. Constantly check the website because on Friday last week, I went to the National Association of Broadcasters Convention, which is um, coming up in April, and they had nothing on coronavirus. Then on Monday, I went and they had an update that said, hey, we're working to keep uh, the convention center as clean as we possibly can. We understand that some people will be pulling out. I'm going to guess that Apple will probably pull out of NAB since they've already right. pulled out of everything else. Um but my, my guess is maybe by the end of the week or maybe by even the middle of next week, they may have a totally different update. And like I said, Emerald City Comic Con within a week had three different positions and statements on how they were going to deal with it. First, it was, hey, we're going to uh, to watch the situation. But so far, everything's going. Then midweek, it was uh, we're we're working with the convention center to make sure everything stays clean. And then by Friday, when people started pulling out, they're like, uh, no, we have to cancel this. So things will will change very quickly. And before you go to your convention or before you're, you're a couple of weeks away from um, your big event, you probably ought to be checking with the convention website to ensure that uh, plans have not changed. Speaking of plans changing, there's one Ashley Victoria Robinson. Hello, Ashley. Ashley. Yeah, set their alarm for 6.15 a.m. instead of p.m. Oh, no. <laughs> what you meant to say is, sorry, Stephen, you were right. I was out doing super secret busy things. And that's why I'm here a little bit late. Yep. I was we out, knew you were doing something. I was out de defeating coronavirus with my bare hands. All right. So I think I've got Italy under control. Yeah. No, oh, my not. son. My son was very shocked. He's like, Dad, you know, the uh, the there's no soccer games in Italy now until until they come down off a of lockdown. I'm like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of things that are going to be affected. Ashley, we've yeah, just Italy's been talking. Closed. The moose out front should have told you. Yeah. No, uh, Ashley, we've been talking about coronavirus affecting all of the uh, conventions and changes and cancellations. Do you have any thoughts as we wrap up this discussion? Totally. Um, we have elected not to go to WonderCon, which mm -hmm. has not yet been canceled or postponed um, because of it. Uh, I do think it is for the time being at this moment, at the time we are recording this podcast, I think it is the correct thing to do um, because we don't have a good uh, system for it otherwise. Yeah. I understand it's a bummer. My favorite convention of the year, RuPaul's DragCon, just got canceled. Uh, but... I think what I'm hoping this does is I hope it encourages people to find other opportunities to interact with people, businesses, and creators the mm -hmm. way that they have relied on conventions doing for them. What's the bummer for a lot of people on the tabling side is that that's a lot of uh, budget that has to be looked at again, but I think it's yeah. the, I think it is the correct responsible thing to do. Yeah. All right. There we go. And that's all we're going to talk about that. If you have some thoughts, some uh, reactions to whatever. If you don't think we're taking this uh, seriously enough or you think we need to lighten up a little bit, uh, just let us know. Drop us an email, podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Or even better, head over to the Major Spoilers Discord server. Jump into one of those channels. It can be the general channel. It can be the, uh, it can be the Major Spoilers podcast channel. It can be the Oh My God, We're All Going to Die Next Week channel. And uh, share your thoughts on, uh, on this episode. So there you go. Uh, let's talk about some comic books. Matthew, you had a chance to read Marvel number one. This is the uh, follow-up to Marvel's, correct? It is, sort of. Um, I feel like, uh, much with Marvel's X, which came out a month or so ago, this is less a follow-up and more of a spiritual successor. Okay. 
But this is a story from some of the same creators. Uh, the framing sequence for Marvel is done by Alex Ross and uh, I want to say Frank Espinoza, maybe. Uh, there's an issue or a story in this issue written by Kurt Busick, who was the writer of Marvel's. And this is an interesting sort of book. It starts with uh, Nightmare. You remember Nightmare? Oh, I definitely remember Nightmare. It's the one that gives you yeah. nightmares. Right. He's exactly the one. He's an old Doctor Strange villain. Nightmare is uh, Alex Rossing his way across uh, people's minds. And everybody in the Marvel Universe is apparently asleep. Mm. They're lying in the streets just sleeping away. It's like that Sandman nightmare. issue. Nightmare. It's like that Sandman story where no, everybody fell is, asleep. No, that, that story was good. Um, this <laughs> then transitions to a Spider-Man story. Which is interesting. And the Spider-Man story seems to be very much a dream, which I think is great. And it has the kind of weird refrains and repeating moments and late motifs that you expect from a story that's a dream. Uh, it, at one point, he's fighting the rhino, and the rhino keeps saying the same things. And Spider-Man is dreaming about Mary Jane yelling at him that they need to save money, so he needs to cut back on using so many webs. Mm. And it's very dreamlike. It's it's drawn in a very surrealistic style, which I kind of love. You know, it's it's weird. It's it's thought provoking. I think is what it is. What I'm kind of looking at, and what it really breaks down to is, it feels like a story of Peter B. Parker, because the whole thing is kind of a an older married spider-man trying to get by and put everything together and still be spider-man but also not spend eight hundred dollars on web fluid without telling his wife because he bought 80 gallons you know he buys in bulk and it's interesting if it it just ends and we immediately transition to one of the probably the most fascinating stories i've read in recent memory uh kurt Busick and steve rude if you know Steve Rude and you know how I feel about Steve Rude, you know that we're about to get effusive. Steve Rude, it's a story set uh, right after Avengers number four. So the Avengers team consisting of the Wasp, you know, the primary Avenger, Giant Man, Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man are dealing with uh, the fact that the Hulk got angry and quit. And Iron Man has this new device that can turn your thoughts into reality. So when the Hulk shows up and is mad at them, he creates his own team of Hulk Avengers and the Hulk Avengers fight the real Avengers and they learn the important rule. This is the first rule of superheroing, Ashley. Don't, Don't fight, fight your, your own double. Yeah. Set your alarm on time. Got it. <laughs> yes. Never fight your, okay. When negative Ashley and negative Matthew and positive Steven arrive, <laughs> you have to fight Ashley, <laughs> right? You have to fight negative Matthew. Steven will fight negative Ashley. And positive Steven and I are just going to go out and have a beer. I see. see the joke? It, I was calling Steven negative. It's it's that ribby. Oh, thing that I get it. That was a joke. That friendly Got it. mockery. That we Got do. it. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. The gold gold star for you, Matthew. Thank you. Thank you. I am the gold standard of podcasters. No, I said gold Busick star. Busick and Rude are the gold standard of Silver Age retro stories. This is a really, really good, really strong story. Rick Jones saves the day. Captain America is like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have upset the Hulk. And the Hulk resents Captain America coming in, taking his friends, taking his place in the team, even though the Hulk stomped off in an angry rage at the end of Avengers number two. That's actually a true fact. That's a thing that happened. But it is all wrapped up in this weird kind of it's alex ross which means that parts of it are beautiful but a few decades ago god i'm old um a comic book came out from marvel and that comic book was called sleepwalker and sleepwalker was this green alien who punched out your dreams and uh, the editor uh editor-in-chief at marvel at the time tom defalco was quoted as saying that Sleepwalker was Sandman done right. Now, this book 
the framing sequence and especially that first Spider-Man story, which, like I said, I liked parts of it. It was just kind of inexplicable. This book feels like another attempt at and a, a more successful attempt at Sandman done right. And that's a problem for me because Sandman is done in a particular way and it doesn't really mesh with the Marvel Universe, be it modern or Silver Age. And the, the important question, the question that I feel has yet to be answered, no matter how good that Busick story was or how interesting you know any of the cliffhanger might be, why is this happening? I asked that about Marvel's X number one, which is apparently actually a prequel to Earth X rather than a sequel to Marvel's. Why is this happening? What is this intending to do? Are we extending the Marvel brand into an expanded universe? Are we just referencing Marvel? Are we homaging or celebrating it? Because it's not really an anniversary. And that question is not answered here. So the rude Busick thing, five slices of meatloaf across the board. The rest of the book is a little wobblier. The overall composite score, I'm going to go with three slices of meatloaf simply because it's a really great story, an interesting but kind of inexplicable, nonsensical in some ways Spider-Man story that has some Honeymooners references in it because, you know, topical. And the framing sequence, I'm just like, I don't know what this means and I kind of don't want to know. It's it's off-putting enough to where I'm like, I'm not sure I even want to come back next time to figure it out. So three slices of meatloaf for Marvel number one. Not necessarily a perfectly successful book, but if you just read the part of it that's great, it's an awesome read. All right. Thank you so much for that, Matthew. Ashley, you're going to jump into uh, an, an interesting comic book that was, who was this originally at? Uh, DC? Vertigo. Vertigo. Was, yeah. And then they said, oh, no. This when is, there was a Vertigo. This is, uh, this is too hot for us to handle. So the second coming landed over at Ahoy Comics. Give us a rundown of this. Man. I just want everyone listening to know this is not a meditation or a comment from Ashley on religion. This is a meditation or comment from Ashley on the comic book Second Coming. And I say that because the book opens with an introduction from Mark Russell, who, in my estimation, is one of the greatest comic book writers currently working, slash ever, on what happened with this book, how that reflects on him, and ultimately whether or not he's actually trying to say anything about uh, a religious institution that's been around for a long time. I like Mark Russell's work a lot. I've praised it highly on the show and everywhere else. I like Mark Russell as a human a lot. He's um, the only person who I almost screamed in his face when I met him because I was so emotionally unprepared to bask in his greatness. Mm. And I'm happy to report uh, that I think Second Coming is Really, really, really fabulous. At face value, it's what if Superman was roommates with Jesus a little deeper? It's what if Superman was tasked with teaching Jesus about the modern world and why what at face value is a violent approach is what is, let's say, needed to accomplish the things that Jesus was trying to accomplish during his time here. And they're sort of clash of values. Uh, Sunstar is this universe's Superman. Um, he has an alliterative name that starts with a K, a hard K sound, just like Clark Kent. His girlfriend is a newspaper reporter. She has an alliterative name that starts with an S. They're trying to have a baby. They can't. They can't legally be married because he's not a legally a human. They can't adopt because he's not legally a human. They can't have a baby because he doesn't function like a human. So he is othered. And resorts to violence, whereas when Jesus shows up, he is othered because of his innocence. And it's really, really compelling reading to watch these two men try to save a world, a modern world, that doesn't think they need or want it. And how they come to terms with that and how that reflects on both of them and then ultimately on humanity. If that's too heavy for people, it's a really cute buddy comedy with some funny, funny jokes and some great panels. 
I think Richard Pace is a great companion to this. Mm -hmm. I will say uh, he should look at some real female anatomy because there is a little uh, there's a little when God created the world, there was Adam and Eve and there was that, you know, there was the tree with the fruit. So then they ate the fruits and what happened? And Eve's looking real perky um, as someone who's been a woman all her life. That is. The number one criticism I have for artists is please look at what a, a woman looks like. Uh, but otherwise, his art is very hatching heavy. I would describe it as scratchy. And I think it adds a lot of charm because the covers are so clean. And then the colors throughout the rest of the book really help to solidify it. And because it does seem, it almost seems like everything is fraying apart at the edges. In a way to me, it feels like you're reading... Um, like when you look at wood etchings in a medieval story, it feels like it evokes something mm. from the past from a bygone era. And I really, really like this. I think Ahoy Comics was really smart to pick this up because obviously uh, there was a huge amount of controversy surrounding this book. But I think it's so wonderful. I think it deserves to be told. I think it's good comics. And I think it shows you uh, what Mark Russell is particularly good at which is deconstructing things that we think we're familiar with in order to hold the mirror up to what we are right now uh i was delighted i read the whole volume in one sitting i can't recommend it enough uh but also i hope there's i hope there's a little bit more slash no more because it is a uh, very perfectly constructed. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. It's like when you see a perfect flower and you're like, I just want this one sunflower. I don't need a whole field of them. Yeah. This one is per. That's how I feel about yeah. it. I just, I thought this book was really great. Yeah. You no, wish I, there was more, but you're afraid that it would ruin it. Yeah. It's kind of like the, uh, the exactly. Watchmen series on HBO. Yeah. No, no We're need for a second season. I'm nodding, but I don't know if that's true. <laughs> well, we know there's not going to be a second season. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, when you get into some, and that's what I like about Mark Russell too, right? He he uses satire to dig at uh, controversial issues, and certainly when you're holding a mirror up to people's religious beliefs and trying to tell them or show and discuss things through that mirror, it often backfires. But I think he does a really it's, good job at at. Uh, it's at getting his more message of a discussion, across. like it's not preachy, and it's not. It doesn't leave a conclusion any kind of way that if you feel this, you are right or wrong, mm -hmm. which I think is. Um, I think it's something in its favor. Yeah, most definitely. Definitely, definitely. Well, thank you for that, Ashley. Uh, this week, I took a look at Flash 751 in stores today from uh, the DC Comics. And this one is uh, we, we find out what's really going on with um, with what's what's this guy? Paradox, who's shown up to try to destroy everything. This is a story that stretches back probably to the last time I re reviewed a Flash comic, like six months ago, five months ago. Uh, when Barry jumped to the to the future to see what was going on with the turtle when they they launched that whole new Flash thing, and it's been continuing ever since. Uh, this week, Flash battles Matthew's favorite speedster, Godspeed, who he believes has become a villain and is working side by side with Bar Paradox to bring Barry down. And we figure out, uh, you know, Paradox is like, look, you created me and you gave me power. Every time you screw up the timeline, every time you try to go back and save your mom, Flashpoint created me and made me what I am today. This is all your fault, Barry Allen, which, you know, for for part of this issue, I really feel like Joshua Williamson is totally trying to tear down everything Jeff Johns was was building with Flashpoint and, and the whole Barry is, Barry is God kind of thing. It really feels that way in a lot of points. But then at the same time, you have to remember that Joshua Williamson was also telling this story where Barry is going to the future and back to the future and coming back to the past and changing the timeline again and again and again. So you kind of have a weird kind of feeling that comes out about this, about, you know, is Barry really a bad person? Should he be allowed to travel through time like this and be allowed to change timelines like this? Uh, and then there's a kind of a big reveal that I don't want to give away because it's a little bit spoilery and this issue did just hit the stands. Uh, by the time that you're listening to this. Uh, so I don't want to do the big reveal at the end of this, but I was fairly satisfied with how this issue uh, came about. Um, you know, Howard Porter and uh, Rafa um, Sandoval are doing the art on this, and I think they do a fine job on this. Uh, I found the story compelling enough, even though I, again, probably the last time I read an issue of Flash, or I had a chance to pick up an issue of Flash, even though Flash is one of the pull list comics that I get every month or every two weeks or whatever it is. 
um, I haven't read this this uh, arc since the initial turtle appearance, and I was able to pick up exactly what was going on. I wasn't lost at all. I mean, if you know, I mean, they even go back and do a little quick origin recap of who Godspeed is, just in case you're coming in late and don't know who Matthew's favorite speedster is. Um, it's Jay and, Garrick, by the way. And everything gets resolved nicely uh, to set up the final the final issue story arc. I'm guessing next next issue. So it's a pretty good issue. I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Uh, four out of five slices of meatloaf. A Flash 751 in stores this week from DC Comics. I don't want to give too much away again, but just realize it's it's Barry and and uh, Godspeed fighting and Paradox standing by, and then uh, things change and there's a few surprises and what you thought was one thing is actually another thing. And how could you ever second guess what the writer and creators of this comic were thinking yeah. at the time? So there now, you go. Is, th- is there any five G? No, uh, the 5G stuff. And so I don't know what's going on with this generation five uh, stuff. Uh, so issue 750, Matthew, which mm-hmm. you reviewed on the major spoilers website this week, uh, the I wonder, did. the wonder woman, 750 issue, the flash 750 issue wonder woman for sure contained a little bit of what we believe was going to spill out with generation five. I haven't right. had a chance to read flash 750. So I don't know if flash there was a little story. Did have a, a chapter the jay mm-hmm. garrick chapter seemed to be tying into a reality where wonder woman debuted in 1940 yes. is the yes. first year uh-huh. yes that is correct so that it, that would be your generation five stuff there's a lot of generation five stuff that'll probably start appearing in comics we don't know whether dc you know with the with the recent uh, parting of dan didio from uh from dc comics we yeah, don't know to work on stuff so far ahead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I, I imagine that even if they cancel the main storyline, we'll st- still see these little hints of a story pop up here and there in issues. But this one, no, this is right back to uh, the Barry paradox uh, storyline. So Barry paradox. Yeah. The Barry paradox. So there you go. That's Flash my cover band. The Barry paradox. Uh-huh. And your first track on the album is called ultimate sacrifice. No, it's going to be a cover of Blind. Actually, that should be the that should be la- that should be the last, the last track is an original original song called the uh, Ultimate Sacrifice, and then that's that's how the album ends, which is where it should have ended. In fact, that it does become a big point uh, that Paradox points out. He was like Barry, you died during the crisis, and you should have stayed dead. And so that's the point where I'm like, ooh, Joshua Williamson is is uh, throwing all sorts of shade at uh, Jeff Johns for bringing Barry back, uh, but then it goes in a little bit different way. So you're gonna have to go pick up that issue. Yeah. Hey, this uh, week's installment of the Major Spoilers podcast is being brought to you by totes.com. It's starting to be springtime. You know, I I know some people are still getting snow, but if you're getting rain and uh, Ashley, I know you walk a lot. We were talking about you a little bit in the pre-show about uh, your your driving uh, habits. Um, Lack thereof. Exactly. Uh, But, you know, you're going to be out walking in the uh, in the California rain. You might need it's some. It's raining today. <laughs> you might need a new umbrella. You might need some rain boots. You might need a rain slicker. You can go over to totes.com and you can get all of those things shipped right to your door. And best of all, anything that you order at totes.com, you can get 25% off when you use the checkout code MAJOR, M A J O R. Get 25% off your order. Thanks, totes.com, for helping to support this week's episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. It's totes. funny. I, I know you were doing a bit, but literally, as you started talking about it, I hopped right over to the website. Yeah, so no, I, I will be. Yeah. I went there today because I was like, well, let me see what they do for the spring wear. I was like, ooh, there's some cool umbrellas. I don't really use an umbrella, but man, some rain boots. If you're a person that walks and there's lots of puddles when it's raining, those rain boots might be right up your right up your alley. Nice. Yeah. Hey, now let's talk about a comic book that the minute that the first issue landed. I was all over this thing and loving it. It is X-Men Grand Design from Ed Piscor. Now, Ed Piscor, who did the um, Hip Hop Family Tree, had been a huge X-Men fan for years. And my understanding of how this story came about was he said that he could take the complex history of the X-Men and he could retell all of the greatest X-Men stories and put things in their logical, chronological order and still make a story have sense. And he could do it in like two volumes or something like that. He also did uh, strip versions of some of these arcs and storylines on Tumblr, I yeah. believe. 
And Marvel's like, okay, let's see you put your put your art and storytelling where your mouth is. And that's how we ended up with X-Men Grand Design. And so for me, I found this thing fascinating because one of the hardest properties I have ever had to get into or tried to get into, and believe me, I've tried multiple times, is the X-Men. And the X-Men is just all over the place. I had to spend an entire week reading uh, the Dark Phoenix saga again and again to try to figure out what's going on. This doesn't seem like anything in that cartoon show. This, to me, was a great primer for anybody wanting to get into the X-Men because it made things, everything made sense. And it put it in a logical order. And I really enjoyed how this story is being told, even though it's a little jumpy and dry at times. I still find it fascinating. Now, Matthew, I'm I'm interested in in, in hearing your perspective because you're someone who does read X-Men books and you are someone who knows the convoluted continuity of this. I want to know what happens and what your thoughts are when Pisker goes through and he lines these things out and he tells like the Dark Phoenix saga in like two pages and it makes sense in two pages. He doesn't actually get to Dark Phoenix in here. Uh, There's a lot of Phoenix stuff. Which Having is all read in there. the volume where he does, it's very beautiful, and it is the only time the Dark Phoenix saga has made sense. There yeah, you go. well, Dark Phoenix is one of those things that was definitely reverse engineered. The thing that is most impressive about this is that what we're looking at here is a retelling of basically the entirety of X-Men Volume 1 mm-hmm. up to the point of the cancellation in yep. 73. So yep. 65, 69 issues of X-Men. Starting not at the beginning of X-Men number one, but at the beginning of Charles Xavier's life. So we actually start at actually a point back in 1940 when Namor the Submariner actually flooded the Earth. And it's wonderful to see that because that becomes the reason why people hate mutants in the Marvel Universe. I've argued for years, why would people look at Ben Grimm and be like, yeah, that guy's a stand-up guy, and look at, you know, beautiful red-haired Jean Grey and go, oh, monster! It's because Namor nearly killed a million people, flooded New York, wrecked everything for a decade. It's beautiful. And then we start seeing the backstory coming together, taking all of the little bits and pieces that we've seen, tying it all together, bringing in Magneto's whole weird thing where he's a Holocaust survivor, bringing in Xavier's, you know, family and his stepbrother and all of the crazy retcons and barnacles, but delivering them in a way that makes sense, putting them in an order and a process that makes it feel like it's all one ongoing story. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. You see the origin of Legion in this. You see, mm-hmm. you know, the five original X-Men and how they became who they are. You see the backstory of the Juggernaut. And it's really wonderful to see little bits and pieces. Uh, at one point, a minor villain called Masterman pops up. Yeah. Why? Because it makes sense that a German supervillain would be in Germany when Magneto attacked. You know, I love the amount of work that had to go into this yeah. and the amount of just there's probably a, he had a, like a flow chart. I imagine it's going to be like that moment where you go into the room and there's the cards and the buttons and the, you know, the red string tied mm-hmm. between each mm-hmm. one. Yeah. And then you're driving through there and it's like, he's not like he's five eleven, so, not like in the comics. So you weren't sitting there going, mm, no, that's not how that story played out. You're doing this wrong or you're, you're missing out these bits or anything like that. No, because a lot of this is, obviously changed intentionally changed and in fact it does a couple of things that i think are brilliant uh, around 1949 uh the artist drawing namor the submariner made his head this weird freaky triangle with yeah. giant eyes yeah that shows up as an exaggerated version of the terrible monsters that you're facing in mutants right I love that. I mean, especially when you go back and you look at the depiction of Japanese people in 40s comic books, and then you extrapolate there. This is something that I do not look at this as just retelling stories that we've seen in the Marvel Universe, which was why I didn't necessarily want to read it when it was on the stands, because I'm like, I read the Marvel saga back in 84. You know, I've read the original comics. I know how all this goes. 
I didn't. I don't. And it's neat. Yeah. Ashley, I think you and I have had many conversations about X-Men yeah. Grand Design. You're a big fan of this series as well. I am. I think it's incredible. I think it's so smart. I think everyone should do things like this for long-term characters. On Geek History Lesson, we have uh, a, a, an episode type where we'll do the Golden Age or the Silver mm -hmm. Age or the Bronze Age of a certain character with the goal of achieving this same type of thing because comics is a medium now that's been around superheroes in particular for almost a century and there can be a lot to unpack and you know x-men as someone who used to work in comics retail would be okay well, well like what characters do you kind of like and okay well new x-men is a great jumping on point it's the original x-men from the past coming forward to the future but only read that up to the battle of the atom because then it gets real messy you know like there was all these sort of caveats that you were going in with, whereas a character like Batman has several standalones that you could introduce people with. Now, the art here is very specific, and mm -hmm. I think those of us who are familiar with comics history and the changing art style, this is like really super our jam. Mm -hmm. Maybe for a new reader, it's not. I think that's the only potential barrier to entry, but I think a book like this is special, and I think the fact that it's any freaking good and comprehensible is like yeah. nothing short of an accomplishment. Oh yeah, when when great. Yeah, when this was first announced, and he was going to take you know those those you know first of thirty years or what twenty years or whatever. I was, it was. like, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, yeah, I was kind of that same way, and I was just like, I don't see how you can take something and make it make sense. And yeah, when you can take an ins an entire story arc and do it in a page. Yeah. I was just like, whoa, this is really cool. You summarize that succinctly. You hit all the key points. And I don't feel like I'm missing anything. Yes, I'm sure there's little nuance here and there. Little bits and pieces of some great dialogue exchange that is not there. But when you see, um, they don't do, um, no, that comes in the second volume. Um, God loves man kills or whatever. Uh, yeah. But you start to see some the of that. The one with Nightcrawler in it, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You start to see some of that stuff kind of pop up here and it just, wow, it's just so good uh, how well crafted this is and how well thought out it is from start to finish. And I, I just imagine, and I know Matthew imagines a, a wall full of connecting dots. I just imagine taking all the trade paperbacks of X-Men and just ripping all their pages out and saying, okay, this story. Put them up on your murder wall? <laughs> yeah, just put them, put them in their chronological order, uh, you know, kind of rebuild it and then say, okay, now how do I summarize these 30... 30 issues in or 30 pages into one panel and still make it have sense. I mean, the whole uh, thing with the, the Manhunters is mm -hmm. just brilliant. I think uh, the whole master mold thing is great. The whole Xavier disappearing and coming back is well done and well handled the whole, uh, you know, the whole of space coming to attack earth. Just, it's really, really well done. I mean, is there, is there a point part in this, in this volume, we we're reading volume one. Uh, that you really enjoyed, Ashley? Um, I really enjoy what Matthew has already kind of pointed out, which is the framing device that it's not the beginning of the X-Men, it's the beginning of Charles Xavier mm -hmm. and how that leads into the X-Men because in comic book publication history, we start with the team. And I do love the intro to the team here, but it's become, in adaptation, we start more with Charles. And I think this version of retelling the story does a great job at balancing Charles as a visionary with Charles as a villain, because I think he is both things at different times. Yeah. 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 Uh, so you mentioned Ashley, that the art is very different. Uh, it's yes. definitely Piscor's style. Yeah. Um, what do you, what do you like about the art or what, what really stands out? I mean, it's very unique. I have not seen anything this way before. No, but I feel like you can see the influences from early Marvel artists. Um, you know, there are like faces that feel very Kirby and then there's bodies that feel very Ditko. And um, it feel, it evokes the era for which the story is set. I love the way there's a lot less of them, but I love the way the women look in this. Mm -hmm, and I talked mm -hmm. in my uh, review of Second Coming about uh, female anatomy and uh, anatomy is not to be considered with this style of art because right. it's not it's not trying to give you realism it's highly highly stylized but the women just look like i mean 
I'll, I'll just I'll just keep burying myself in this metaphor. You know, if I were going to have a religious experience, these would be my deities. Uh, <laughs> I just think they look so beautiful. And uh, Jean Grey is a character that classically I waffle on a lot. And Jean looks awesome. And this and X-Men Red, which we did on the podcast last year, mm-hmm. have been two books in my adult life that have been instrumental in like unpacking and helping me to understand why Jean is revered the way she is. And that's something that I think... I'm pretty grateful for actually. Yeah. 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 The, the art is, uh, I don't want to say it's crude because it's not crude. No, um, I'd, I'd say it's, I don't know, simple. Yeah. I would say it's simple with, I mean, it's, it's, it's got its angles. It's got its stuff. If you're looking for exact proportions of characters from page to page, you're not go, going to get that. Else. Uh, beast <laughs> is certainly a good example of that where, you know, he's the guy with the big hands and the big feet, but he may be, you know, 10 feet tall in one panel and, you know, eight feet tall in another panel. Uh, you know, it just it just kind of depends on uh, how he's drawing it to get that to work. Uh, and so, yeah, it's something that I think takes getting used to. But any art uh, that you look at takes getting used to over time. And at first I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this, especially when you when it opens up with the watcher going uh, and the recorder showing up going, hey, I'm checking in on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Watu, that, why haven't you? Really how come you haven't checked in in, in a millennia? And he's like, ah, you know, sometimes it takes a, a long time to get my thoughts together on these stories, uh, start wa- you know, start recording now and I'll tell you the history of earth. And I was like, Oh, I'm not sure I'm going to like this art, but the more you read it, the more it, you get into it. It, it kind of has now again, um, art, uh, art Spiegel who did uh, mouse, right? Is it yeah. Spiegel? Um, his art is, I would compare to what we see in X-Men grand design minus the, uh, uh um, turning everyone into animals. But that's what we that's what we have here. That's how I would compare it. Uh, Matthew, you're you, what do you what do you think of the art? Is this something that uh, is attractive to you or is this something that you didn't care for? It's attractive. I think that the Spiegelman is a good call. I think that there's also uh, if you're familiar with the works of Robert Crumb, especially mm-hmm. the stuff that he yes. did with Harvey Picar. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that in here. There's a lot of uh, kind of a. A Frank quiet, quietly, however that's pronounced, stylization. But more than anything, it reminds me of early Mad Magazine in all the right ways. The the Wally Woods and you know the guys who were working in those early days. What pops out to me repeatedly is Super Duper Man uh, by Wally Wood. But you also look at you know your Jack Davises. There is a realism. Uh, what you know, I think what the artists would refer to as aesthetic primitivism primitivism where you are trying to emulate something like a woodcut or a simpler drawing you're intentionally using this simpler style or intentionally putting together a style that evokes that simpler expectation and i feel like it works really well here because if you look back at the comics of 1963 to 1972 you do have a lot of stuff that is weird and awkward and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. aimed at children this feels like it might have even been drawn by a particularly talented young person yeah and i love i love the way that feeds into the whole x-men dichotomy i love the fact that when we meet all of the x-men they're these kind of these wimpy little nerd kids and then we meet the mimic who's a big jerk and who is he he's a jock He's a jock with big sideburns and feathered hair. And he's like, I don't care. I don't like nothing. That is the only real flaw in this, by the way, is the mimic doesn't wear his cool red and orange costume. Uh, he is the greatest X-Men. Don't at me. Actually, at me all you want. I'll fight with you all day long. But art-wise, this is fascinating. And it's one of those things that I find it's going to be hard to discuss because a few years ago, I would talk about um, – 60s Ditko and 80s Kirby. And there was a person who would yell at me, they just can't draw. I don't like it. They just can't draw. That, that is 100% absolutely not true. It's not true of 60s Ditko. It's not true of 80s Kirby. And it's not true of 2010s Piscor. But the people who will yell at you that Jack Kirby can't draw are going to be looking at this and yelling about the primitivism, yelling about the, you know, childlike aspects and the framing that makes it feel like a kid's comic. And they're going to tell you, Oh, this guy can't draw. It's stupid. 
and it's dumb and it's stupid and I need to go and read something by, I don't know, uh, Rob Liefeld. Rob Liefeld. You know, you like what you like. An art style is an art style. Right. And I think this is going to be a hard one to necessarily sell to people who aren't well, I think that there's a certain open to it. I, I think that that people over time have come to a certain expectation when they see their superhero comics, uh, you know, uh, thin wayfish women with big breasts and men sure. with with, you know, unrealistic proportions and everything is glossy and shiny and silver and, and whatever shiny and silver or whatever it is. Um, shiny, happy people holding shiny up. and chrome, shiny and chrome. That's what I'm thinking of. Thank you, Ashley, for getting my my half hearted reference there. Scott Johnson um, somewhere just like shivered. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, it's not it's not that great of a movie, Scott. You know that. And I know uh, that. Uh, uh, you're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> some of you are going to be mad at us now that he goes off a path of you. Uh. <laughs> no, I, for me. I, I give Scott a lot of crap about that. Um, but um, so, yeah, I think there are there are people that whose styles that you can identify with. I like Umberto Ramos. Matthew doesn't care for Umberto Ramos. Uh, I think Jack Kirby's style is unique, uh, but it takes some getting used to. And sometimes when you see Superman's face in a Jack Kirby uh, art, it looks kind of weird and scary, but that's how Jack sees Superman. Um, and I think the same goes here. This is if you are looking for the shiny, uh, the, the silver and chrome or the shiny and chrome uh, superheroes, um, that's not what you're going to get in this book. And I, and I agree with you, Ashley, that this might be the biggest off-putting part of the the entire experience but that being said if you go through the entire volume i think you'll come out the other side going yeah i was okay with the art i'd also encourage people i'll give you a pass if you're newer to comics or if you're only used to a certain style Um, but i would encourage people who consider themselves well read and, and knowledgeable that just because you don't like an artist's style doesn't mean they don't have one Mm mm-hmm uh, like with all art, it is subjective. It is subjective. Indeed. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And I, here it's really good, so take that. No, I was going into this conversation. I, I knew that Ashley already really liked uh, this series because we talked about it before and she's reviewed stuff uh, from this before, as, as have I. I was really, Matthew, expecting you to go, no, that's not how it happened. I really thought you would take a negative approach to this only because of your... Always, so oh, I read the original issue. He's going to have him do the Legion one. I mean, come on. Oh, man. If, yeah. if he did a Legion one, that would be totally awesome. I think that the things that bother me are changes that are made for a purpose. Uh, the, the bits and pieces that I'm like, why is the changeling an android? Because it makes it easier for Professor Xavier to sacrifice him in his place. Why do we talk about the Phoenix at the very beginning? Because that explains all the alien incursions. That explains why all these idiots are coming to Earth and attacking five kids in Westchester. Mm-hmm. You know, why is this whole thing with Magneto so intertwined and, and put together? Because it's almost impossible to make sense of the history of Professor X and Magneto in a time frame that works. But they do it. Piscor yeah. pulls it off. You know, they, they reference uh, the angel being an active superhero before he joined the X-Men in his little red and black costumes. Great suit. The Avenging Angel appeared twice. Great suit. I wish they'd use it more. No, they won't. They won't ever do that. But all of the things in here where I'm like, why did they make that change? What's the point? Were answered. Mm-hmm. The, and they made sense of characters like the Conquistador. They made sense of the Mutant Master. They made sense of Grotesque, the underground monkey man, whatever yeah. his deal was. Yeah. They took uh, Piscor. I shouldn't say they because I think this is a yeah, one no, it's, it's just It's just him. Yeah. Yeah. He took these things that didn't make sense, tied them together in a way yep. that did. And again. He, and he's putting in things like, you know, Mastermind's fascination with Gene. That doesn't come around until the Dark Phoenix saga in X-Men 141, but it's all seeded here. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense. And yep. it, it ties together all of the nonsense of that first, you know, 63 issues of X-Men. And there's a lot of it. If you've read anything about Lucifer, you know there's some nonsense in those issues of X-Men. And turns it into a coherent story that builds something as though it had always been meant to. Yeah, no, that that's amazing. I'll say this again. And and the link that I'm, that I'm putting in the show notes, 
to the X-Men Grand Design. This is the Omnibus Edition that's coming out soon. I would say go ahead and pre-order. I know it's I know it's expensive, but you get the entire run. This includes the uh, what is it? Second Genesis uh, volume as well. Um, I I really think that if you are someone like me who has been reading comics for a very long time, but still finds the X-Men that incredibly hard shell to crack. This is this is your primer. This is the thing that you need to know so that when you're finished, you can step into I don't want to say all of the recent X-Men and understand it because, you know, there's some weird stuff that's still going on. But you'll have a good foundation of who these people are and what their relationships are and who is the good and who is the bad. And I think you will have a much easier time getting into X-Men because you can say, I know the entire history of the X-Men because I read it in this giant omnibus. So for me, X-Men Grand Design is a must have comic book. And I don't say that about a lot of things. I'll say that about Atomic Robo. I'll say that about Lock and Key. I'll say that about uh, the Hellboy stuff. X-Men Grand Design is one of those comics that you really, really, really should have. Uh, Ashley and and Jason on the Geek History Lesson, they always talk about the meet cute. Uh, How did you first meet them? And, uh, you know, the whole purpose of Geek History Lesson is to give you a foundation. So if you're ever in a dinner party and, and the topic comes up, you have a little bit of information to share and become part of that conversation and land that next gig. X Men Grand Design is that. X Men Grand Design is that thing where you can have a little bit of knowledge of what goes on in the X Men universe and able to hold a little bit of a conversation with people. And so, again, this is a must have comic from me. Ashley, what do you think? Final thoughts. Well, I don't know if I can say it any better than that. I think X Men Grand Design succeeds and exceeds at every point all expectations. I think it's a triumph. I think it's incredible. I think uh, the second volume of it is even better, which I didn't think was humanly possible. And I think if you want to be a well-rounded reader, I think knowing your history as much as possible is really important. And I think this makes it way easier than you are ever likely to have because X-Men, even after reading this, is still dense and complicated. But the fact that you can put enough time and love and energy into making it comprehensible is what is so special about geeky people. Highly recommend. Yeah, there you go. Matthew, final thoughts. Oh, we lost Matthew. Where did Matthew go? Oh, there he is. I'm here. There he is. Oh, for a minute there. I thought we lost you. And I was like panicking, but you know. Ooh, you're back. I never went anywhere. Okay, final thoughts. One one terrible flaw in this comic book. Uh Uh-oh. One terrible. Oh, is that you didn't read it when it originally came out? Unavoidable. (laughs) Inexplicable. And completely unforgivable flaw. All of the pages are colored as though they are actual comics of the 70s. They're tan to brown, which Uh means that if you're trying to grade this comic, your brain is going to go, this is a 6.0 maximum, and it's going to (laughs) drive you up the wall. And that's the main thing that I felt throughout this whole thing was, man, I feel bad for anybody who has to try and grade this in the future. Other than that, this is solid. This is a kind of a tour de force. And I enjoyed every second of it, even though they didn't get the Mimics costume right. And that should tell you all you need to know, friends. My favorite character got shafted in the suit department, and I don't even care. There you go. X-Men Grand Design, ladies and gentlemen. And I think that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you, Matthew, and thank you, Ashley, for being part of the show uh, this week. And uh, we hope Rodrigo is feeling better uh, very soon, and he'll be back next week. Again, if you have any comments or thoughts or whatever, get over to our Discord server. That's the best place to uh, hang out with everyone else. Uh, And again, thank you, dear listener, for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. As always, we want to hear your feedback. Don't at me, but use the comments section at Majorspoilers.com to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode. Or even better, you can send an email directly to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Uh, you know, I said that uh, there are a few comics that I say are must buys and I have mentioned Atomic Robo. Oh, we're revisiting Atomic Robo. We're doing the B-sides next week on the Major Spoilers podcast. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you.
podcast is copyright 2020 by major spoilers entertainment llc say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.